As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. Hello, thank you for joining us on this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. I'm Ali Maxwell. With me, George Ellick. We've got no time to waste. George, a busy show ahead. What have we got in store? Yeah, this seems to be pretty much the only hour in the week where I'm not watching live football. And it's been another really busy one this time around as well. So as ever, we're going to look back at the football from both Tuesday and Wednesday night, running through the three leagues and our players, managers and teams of the midweek. At the end, we'll look ahead to the fixtures that are catching our eye with our sponsors, Paddy Power as well. And we're delighted to be joined by Norwich City writer for The Athletic, Michael Bailey, speaking about their start to the season being top of the league but the current injury crisis they're undergoing as well this is the totally football league show extra time brought to you by paddy power let's get into it george we start this week with plenty of positivity i think because it barely seems believable to even say this but this midweek in the efl specifically on wednesday six efl matches had some fans in them, at them, hmm. uh, 2,000 in a couple of the games, 1,000 certainly at Wickham. I know that, George, because we were very, very lucky, very fortunate to be at one of these games with fans for the first time in such a long time. We were at the Wickham-Stoke game, very much as press. I would like to make it clear that we were not taking up two seats of loyal Wickham fans who have waited eight months to see their side. But we were there and we really wanted to experience what it was like, rem- remind ourselves what it was like, and it's just as good as I remember, if not better, George. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd have liked to put this game as one of our team player or managers of the week, but a 1-0 away win didn't really give us cause to do that. Um, but it was great. It, it was brilliant to be back in a stadium. It was great to kind of turn up and see the floodlights on and see the buzz of fans around the ground, um, everybody wearing their masks. You know, I think we're at a stage now where personally... I kind of forget my mask is even on. So there was no issues with me sitting. You know, it was a pretty small price to pay to have to sit and wear a mask whilst watching live football. And just seeing it, just seeing the players up close, seeing shots being hit in front of you sweetly and saved by the keeper, hearing the the excitement of fans as the ball dribbles out for a throw-in in the final third, hearing the <laughs> fans screaming and demanding a red card for what was quite an innocuous tackle. These are all the things that we that we've missed from fans 
being at games. And this was extra special because, you know, let's remember that the last time Wickham saw their team playing football live, they were outside the playoffs in League One. Now they're a championship side for the first time in their history. This was the first time Wickham fans could see their side playing in the second tier of English football. And that is a momentous occasion as well. I mean, it looked to me, it looked to us in, in the media area like the social distancing was obeyed. The the fans were sitting effectively in, in kind of blocks. So they were in lines going across and down, all very, very well spaced as well. And I suppose Adams Park is, is a stadium where it's fairly easy to do that with three pretty sizable stands to fit a thousand people in. But it was it, it was great to be there. Um, I'm, I'm sure Wickham fans will be disappointed with the result. Um, they gave Stoke a, a fairly decent game. Certainly for the first 20, 25 minutes, Wickham looked the better side and, and hit the post before midway through the second half. Nick Powell got the decisive goal, but I thought man of the match has to go to, I think, the Wickham fans themselves because they played their part. We, we've heard, um, we may speak about it later on, Lebo, you're criticising the Charlton fans for not making enough noise in their game. Certainly not the case here. Uh, Wickham fans were, were up for it from from the, from the minute Gareth Ainsworth did his lap of lap of honour before the game, clapping them. They made a lot of noise, especially when Powell goaded them by cupping his ears after the goal. But uh, but yeah, it was it was great to be back, and uh, looking forward to my next fill of of live EFL football. Well, I thought we would do a quick moment of the week, which we don't do every week, but just because we saw some with our own eyes for the first time, certainly in my case, since, uh, well, since February, probably. Not sure I got to a game in in that first week of March. And I think it, it had to be what was genuinely, I don't say that pithily, a lump in the throat moment. And which started off quite low key. We were we were settling in. We were checking the scores elsewhere of the games that had started earlier. And the teams were warming up. Stoke and Wickham fans being put through their paces about half an hour before kickoff, maybe 20 minutes. And Gareth Ainsworth just started walking around the pitch. And I was wondering where he was going. And of course, he was so excited to see the fans back as well. He walked around the whole ground and it was an unbelievable response. And one that I think any fan, regardless of whether you're a Wickham fan or not, regardless of whether you like Wickham, Gareth Ainsworth or not, put yourself in the position of, of those Wickham fans who were lauding and applauding and standing in ovation of, of a man who has taken them to the highest point in their footballing history. And it's a club with a long history. And also that, as you've mentioned, George, we couldn't, they, they, they couldn't be there at the time. It, it was an amazing moment and applause was well-deserved. That was a great moment. I must also say that, yeah, Nick Powell, <laughs> welcoming back Wickham fans to the realities of watching your team play live by running over to them, capping his ears after he scored the winner. My favourite moment, aside from that, in the second half, because there aren't so many fans in the ground, you can hear what the players are saying and doing a little clearer. And Nick Powell got nutmegged in the second half and just burst out laughing. He thought it was one of the funniest things ever. And I really respect that. Just seemingly doesn't seem to care a huge amount, Nick Powell, but what a wonderful player he is. Now let's get into the more regular awards, the ones that really mean something, George, starting uh, with the Championship Team of the Week in midweek. A fair few candidates for this one. Yeah, whistle stop to all this, because I think we're aware that in recent weeks we've maybe got a bit excited with this segment. But the Team of the Week in the Championship is Preston North End, who beat Bournemouth 3-2. I mean, there, there are plenty of reasons for this. I mean, this was Bournemouth's only second defeat so far this season. 
and the kind of narrative around them seemed to be that they were actually finally hitting hitting form uh, on the back of, of of being free scoring recently. They scored three against Birmingham, four against Reading, two against Forest, and two against Rotherham coming into this one. Uh, but Preston took an early lead and were good value for their win on the on the day. If you haven't seen the highlights of this one, I implore you to watch Scott Sinclair's goal to put them two 0 up. An unbelievable finish. His physical presence causing problems at the other end. Preston come forward. Oh, Begovic is off his line. And Sinclair spotted it. An unbelievable finish from Scott Sinclair. 40 yards from goal. There are few players who can produce the goods like that. Begovic didn't even move. Pure instinct from the forward who looked up and knew exactly what he had to do. And Alex Neal has been talking about the fact he's better front-facing rather than having his back to goal. From about 40 yards out, uh, lobbing the keeper, um, Asmir Bekovic. It was uh, a sensational goal. Surely will be up there for goal of the season. Um, but sadly, he doesn't get the, the 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 gong for player. But they, it was just a really good team performance. Uh, and especially when you consider the result on the weekend where they came up against another relegated Premier League side in Watford, another side who, who maybe people have questioned whether they're getting the best out of their talented squad. Um, but Watford wiped the floor with them, to be honest, in that one. And they were well beaten 4-1, which was only their second away defeat of the season so far. And it would have been easy coming into this, you know, a really difficult week of, of two games against these fancied sides in the division. It would have been easy for them to roll over here, but they were tuned up pretty early in the game, early in the second half. And, and then Patrick Bauer made it, made it 3-0. And, you know, conceding twice, 3-2 up, nervy with five minutes to go. Hmm. They managed to see the game out well, despite seven minutes of added on time as well. So this was a big win for Preston, a big return to form for them. Um, for Bournemouth, I still feel like there are question marks around them. I understand that they are currently in second position, level on points with with a top team Norwich. But again, this just seemed like another example of, of the players on the pitch not necessarily clicking and being as dominant as they should be. But let's not take anything away from Preston or anything away from Scott Sinclair and his magnificent goal this midweek's team of the game week. Gally, <laughs> on to you now. And it is your player of the week and a player who we haven't heard much about in recent seasons no and I'm just so so delighted to be able to anoint Duncan Watmore player of the midweek in the championship because he I think as everyone knows has had the most desperately unlucky three years or so I mean many will remember his emergence into the Sunderland first team in the Premier League in 2015-16 and then the first half of 2016-17 when he was getting a lot of minutes with Sunderland and looked like a really exciting wide player with absolute wheels by the way what pace <laughs> he had and, and the injuries just came back to back to back three years in a row basically where he's barely been able to play more than about five games per season and every time time he's come back he has been hit by injury of course that's coincided with Sunderland's double relegation so the I guess the very foundation of where he was and the club that he was at was probably making things pretty difficult for him and for the club as well because Watmore was a sort of legacy Premier League wage as well so they cut ties with each other and it's a fresh start for Watmore with Neil Warnock and Middlesbrough and he only signed a few weeks ago he started this season without a club this is classic Neil Warnock he absolutely loves 
an in-season free agent signing, George. And he often, as we know, picks up players well into the season who can end up being key players for his team. You only have to look back to the Cardiff side that he took over in the relegation zone in 16-17. A few months into that season, with Warnock at the helm, he signed Junior Hoylett and Sol Bamba on free transfers, who immediately became key players for a Cardiff side that mm. within two years was playing in the Premier League. I should say that at the same time, he signed Marouane Shamak and Kieran Richardson, who were <laughs> not big players for Cardiff. But I think when you're picking up freebies in October, a 50% hit rate is still very much acceptable. The early signs are good with Watmore and Borough. Borough, as we know, excellent defensively, probably need another goal threat or two. And in recent weeks, they have looked dangerous on the counter-attack. They are springing forward in transition really well. And on the evidence of Wednesday night, the pace and movement and the work rate of Watmore are still there. He's not lost too much after those injuries. He scored both goals, both really well taken. And he looks like he will fit the bill really nicely in this Borough side. It's exciting times. And I think this is one of those where every person that follows football and who knows his story wants him to do well after the rotten luck he's had. Also, he was brilliant on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast in April. And I would implore listeners to go back and listen to that after this, after this pod. He's done a Masters. And he's very interesting talking about that. He's a part of Common Goal, which is the organisation where players and, and others within the game pledge part of their salary to help tackle inequality through football. And he's just a really interesting guy. So um, well done, Duncan. What more? You are our player of the midweek in the championship, both on merit for your performances, but also as a recognition of the, of the journey that he's been on over the last few years. And, and, and hopefully we will see so much more of this. What about the manager of the midweek in the champ, George? Neil Harris at Cardiff, of course, because a week ago, things were not looking particularly good for Cardiff. I saw a few people speaking and chatting online about who could be potential replacements for Harris at Cardiff. Who could they be looking to bring in? And it did feel like despite having such a good uh, second half of the season, taking them into the playoffs, for whatever reason, at Cardiff, it wasn't really working. And we, we started to see some desperation from Harris himself in interviews, desperately trying to justify um, his belief that his team w were merely unlucky rather than poor in certain results. This was off the back of a 1-0 defeat away at Coventry last midweek. And boy, have they bounced back. They beat Luton 4-0 on the weekend and then midweek. And the reason why he's getting his award, a 3-0 win at home to Huddersfield. A Huddersfield side, no less, who, of course, come came there off the back of a 3-2 win against Middlesbrough. Nobody scores three against Middlesbrough. <laughs> but Cardiff were able to keep Huddersfield out and were able to do so thanks to the goal-scoring exploits of Kiefer Moore, who's now on seven for the season. And then Robert Glatzel scored a great goal coming off the bench as well. Shea Ojo on loan from Liverpool's proving to be a really astute loan signing. Two assists for him on the evening. And Harry Wilson again proving himself to be more than just a long-shot merchant with a, a, a performance full of trickery and skill and guile. This feels like the beginning of something good for Cardiff and Harris. And there's no reason at all when you look at the players they've got at their disposal, the ones I've just mentioned, not only are they solid defensively, as we've come to expect from them, but they've now got the attacking talents, the attacking verve to go alongside it. Seven goals in their last two games. And I may disagree with Neil Harris when he talks about his sides winning 4-0 and deserving to win 8 or 9-0, as he said after the Luton game. But there definitely feels like the tide is turning now for him and Cardiff and given the pressure he was under to get results this week with two home wins he couldn't have done a more resounding job so congratulations Neil Harris our manager of the midweek I said 
before we cracked on with this that there were quite a few nominees for the awards in the championship this week because there were some very worthy winning teams and impressive wins as well. I mean, Luton fans will be listening, yes. screaming at the podcast, uh, <laughs> screaming at the telly, no, screaming at their phones or their laptops or their tablets saying, why are you not mentioning our 3-1 win against Norwich City? And that's very fair. We felt that with Norwich's injuries, it just it just meant a little bit less. But what a fantastic win that is. Blackburn, of course, a late winner against Millwall. Borough beating Swansea, we've mentioned. Duncan Watmore there. Brentford, Bristol City and Barnsley all getting fantastic away wins as well as Stoke at the game we were at on Wednesday night. In League One, it's the same story. So many options here. I'm going to start with the team of the week in, week in League One. This one was straightforward. Rochdale went to Plymouth Argyle. And you know when you watch a soccer special or something like that, and there's with certain teams, there are there are things that are just known about that team that always get referenced when talking about that team. And with Argyle, it is their home record is fantastic. Home park, an absolute fortress. When the fans were there, that was the case. Even without the fans, that's been the case. You do not go to Argyle and win. Rochdale pitch up three wins from 14 games prior to that and leave with a 4-0 win. Brian Barry Murphy laughing in the face of Home Park as a fortress. And what hmm. a performance it was. Rochdale, easily our team of the week in League One. They have found wins hard to come by this season. That was only their fourth. And so this one feels even more significant. Of course, the the score itself is so eye-catching. But for me, it was the fact that Dale have had so many games where they've been good in spells, where they've started well in games, but found it tough to maintain that level and either dropped off in the second half or just not being able to make those spells count when they've had them. That's why they found wins so hard to come by. One good way to make sure that doesn't happen, George, is to be 3-0 up at half time. And that was the case here. They just completely caught Argyle cold. The game plan was excellent from Barry Murphy. He needed his centre-backs, O'Connell and Roberts, Hayden Roberts on loan from Brighton, who looks like a brilliant loanee. He needed them to be solid at the back, and they were. They kept Argyle's front two pretty quiet, and then they caught them cold. The first one, a clever through ball, running behind, and, and that was 1-0. The second, a rocket from their talented midfielder, Aaron Morley, and then a comedy third goal. You've got to see this. Go and watch the Argyle-Dale highlights, guys. The third goal is like the weakest header you've ever seen from about... 12 yards out and everyone just leaves it and it just trickles into the corner and it really summed up Argyle's night but it was brilliant for Dale and just to avoid that unique panic that hits when a 3-0 lead becomes 3-1 still with time left in the second half they started the second half they kept Argyle at bay and they grabbed a fourth as well to put it to bed so easily our team of the week in League One a brilliant game plan from Brian Barry Murphy well executed by his players and crucially keeps them above that dotted line which really has to be the sole objective for Dale this season they really do fight against it in, in budgetary terms in League One and, and, and victories like this are very impressive indeed so well done Dale team of the week in League One which was the player George that stood out for us most which was uh, the player is Vidane Oliver of Gillingham. Gillingham beat Bristol Rovers 2-0 and Paul Tisdale still yet to get his first win 
as Bristol Rovers' manager, but this was all about Oliver, who got both of the goals. And, and he's not a, a striker that we necessarily really associate with goal scoring. He's he's very, very good in the air. He's very physical. He's kind of the perfect foil for a, a goal scorer to play alongside for the little and large partnership. But this on this occasion, he did turn to prove to be the player to win the game for Gillingham. And, and looking back at the goals as well, the first one running onto a ball over the top with a really cute left foot to finish, just nicking it over the keeper. For the second goal, a back post header. He ends up colliding with a post and goes down injured in the goal mouth afterwards, but was able to carry on playing. So full credit for his bravery as well. But this is you know a big win for Gillingham, who went through a difficult run of form earlier on in the campaign. Under Steve Evans, a manager who, as we often say, is associated with teams who score a lot of goals, who get strikers, who maybe haven't been that prolific previously in their career to start being proper goal scorers. Um, it's been tough for them over the last 18 months, but maybe this is a sign that un- with Oliver, he's got a, a striker who he's starting to mould mm. into his fit. Um, they've been better recently, and with Oliver in this kind of form, um, you have to say that there's every chance. I mean, a lot of people had them as, as dark horses before the season started. Um, it hasn't played out that way, but more results like this and we'll have to maybe sit up and take notes. So all credit to Vidane Oliver, who's never scores many goals, never, I doubt, has scored many braces, league braces in his career, but this was certainly a good one and was the catalyst to their three points last night. Oliver, Oliver, crossing oh, wow. the ball and you know that he'll score. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. Shall we move on swiftly yes. from, from one man? with a first name for a surname in Vidane Oliver to another in Russell Martin. The man with two first names. Some people friend say of the pod. Should, friend of the pod. Some people say you shouldn't trust him, but I think that is a falsehood. Um, I don't think listeners, or certainly not regular listeners to this podcast, need any introduction to, to Russ Martin and specifically to the style of play and tactics that he wants to implement at MK Dons because, plug... We spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, about that? And he spoke so well and explained everything that they're trying to do there. And I think he'll have been frustrated since he spoke to us, not not in the context of speaking to us, but just with the results and to an extent with the performances that his MK Don's side have put in. Firstly, they lost 3-1 to Hull, and it was just one of those really disappointing games where the opposition don't have to work very hard to win. That must be an absolute nightmare scenario as a manager. They followed it up by drawing with Shrews in uh, last weekend, uh, a game in which they were 2-0 down and came back to draw 2-2. So just the one point in two games and sloppy goals being conceded, poor finishing letting them down as well, slightly undermining the impressive style of play and the impressive tactics that he spoke about. That all changed on, on Wednesday night. A fantastic win at the Valley against Charlton, who had 2,000 fans there, Although Lebo, yeah, as you mentioned, didn't think they made enough positive noises towards the team. And I, I thought, well, when we saw that quote from Boya on our train home from Wickham, I must admit there was a, a sharp intake of breath. He's a, he's a manager that we both respect hugely. Mm. But I mean, after eight months without being, to, uh, without being able to have fans watching to... to uh, to sort of rile them up after after the first game. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting tactic. Let's see how that one pays off. Anyway, the fact of the matter was they, they lost to the better side here in MK Dons, uh, a side that played the better football, created the better chances uh, and scored the winning goal through a brilliant goal from Scott Fraser on the 75th minute and held out for the win. Uh, and with MK Dons, it's a funny one because with all the talk of style of play and how impressive Martin is uh, and someone who's performances 
a team whose performances we've enjoyed, they haven't picked up that many wins. It was only three in 14 games before this. But it feels like they're doing a little better against the teams towards the top of the table than they are against those around them. I think of games against Ipswich and Pompey, Sunderland, who they beat at the Stadium of Light, and now Charlton, who they've beaten at the Valley, where MK Dons have just been the better side and have got positive results there. Um, perhaps there's something in the mentality of their opposition that can help or, or hinder, in some cases, the way in which they play their game, how reactive the oppo are to Martin's game plan and how much they try to stop MK Dons before worrying about playing themselves. And look, he talked us through his tactics two weeks ago on the pod and... Uh, you know, we want you guys to go back and listen if you haven't heard that. I'm not going to go through them, but it played out very, very well on Wednesday night. Really impressive stuff. The way he talks about the game is fascinating. And yeah, I think this one was for MK Dons fans who may have been getting a little twitchy after three wins from 14 games. This was a good reminder to, to trust the process uh, and get behind Russell Martin. He is our manager of the week in League One, George, which leads us on to League Two. Yeah, League Two. And I think the team of the week in League Two is arguably the team of the week in the whole EFL. It is Scunthorpe who went to Harrogate and gave them an absolute thrashing. 5-2 the game ended. And this is more than just this individual game. This is three wins in their last five for a side who looked abject just a few weeks ago under, under Neil Cox. I'm not entirely sure what's happened at Scunthorpe, but something has certainly changed and they are now easing their way out of the relegation zone and up, and up the and up the table. Abba Weiser was the star here. He scored two goals, one of which was a penalty and got an assist as well. Ryan Loft and Emmanuel Honoris with the uh, with the other two goals. But they just wiped the floor with the Harrogate side who just a few weeks ago looked like they could genuinely be promotion contenders in League Two. I think the conversation around Harrogate and, and what's going on there and, and their dip in form is probably one for another podcast because things are starting to look pretty troubling uh, at the club who obviously you know did very, very well to start the season as they did coming up for the National League. But this is all about a Scunthorpe side who, you know, I personally, um, in another podcast, may have, may have written them off uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago and, and I'm now eating humble pie. But uh, this was a really impressive performance and it was true to the way that they are improving. Uh, more results like this and, and any of those concerns um, or people who write them off as relegation dead certs will be will be consigned to history um, because Harrogate, despite the poor form, isn't an easy place to go whatsoever. So uh, all credit to Neil Cox, credit to Abba Weisser, who's an, an exciting player when he's when on his day. We don't see that often enough. Um, and yeah, no doubt at all in our mind as to who we had to give this award to. Player of the week. It's another TFLS colon ET <laughs> where we're saying good things about Exeter <laughs> City. Last week, they were our team of the week after scoring six against Cole U. This week, player of the week, Randell Williams. A significant performance for him and worrying for the rest of the division would be the top line here. Significant mm. for Williams because, of course, this is one of the stars of last season in League Two. 15 goals and 13 assists. I think only Owen Doyle and Charlie Kirk got more Cole goal contributions combined than Randell Williams and at times he looked like Exeter's sort of real only attacking force you know which is a strange thing to say for a team that made the playoffs but they really did rely on Williams for creativity and just to get them up the pitch at times with his dribbling ability he was versatile played wing back and on the wing on both sides unselfish a, a real creative force but this season Williams has taken a while to get going, I think it's fair to say. And, and maybe we were surprised that he's even still at the club <clears throat> with 
well, many admiring glances being cast his way, surely last season. Uh, just one goal and one assist in his first 12 starts in the league. And two goals in midweek. So this could be the catalyst. They were both well-taken goals. One of them, his teammate Matt Jay is trying to claim, but I think Randall Williams will be given it. Uh, he gave Grimsby a torrid time. And, and that's what we want to see more of. That's what we remember from last season, reminding us why he felt like one of the most highly sought-after players in League Two. Uh, and worrying for the rest of the division, of course, because for the most part, this season, Exeter haven't needed Randall Williams in top form because their other players have stepped up. They've got 30 goals, the most in the EFL in the league this season. It helps when you score 10 uh, in a week. But um, but uh, yeah, others have stepped up, most notably Joel Randall on the other wing. Uh, his first full season in an extra shirt. He's got six goals and two assists. Matt Jay, the sort of deep lying, uh, the deep lying forward uh, and Ryan Bowman, the target man, they're starting to dovetail really well up front. So for goals and assists combined, Jay's got nine, Bowman and Randall have eight. So other contributors to this Exeter side, Williams has been given the time to grow into the season. And that's why this performance in midweek is scary for the rest of the league. Because if you're going to add Randall Williams in form to the side that has scored the most goals in League Two this season, well, that could be a wrap. You know, they could be blitzing their way to the title in a matter of months. It's a serious attacking force. So well done, Randall Williams. Exeter will be happy that he's come to the fore and hope for more of the same this weekend who George gets the award for manager of the week in league two Clough the magic dragon or maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's Clough the magic stag these days oh yes um yeah I think before the season started a one nil Mansfield victory at Cambridge we'd have thought would be as run of the mill as it really gets but things haven't really played out that way Cambridge have been superb under Mark Bonner and they came into this game unbeaten at home, playing seven, winning four, drawing three. Mansfield, on the other hand, came to Cambridge, having only won one game all season. So this was a momentous victory for Mansfield. Another sign that Nigel Clough has improved them immeasurably from Graham Coughlin's reign. I mean, we've always said, you know, the players are there. There's no doubt that Mansfield, on paper at least, have one of the best squads in the whole of League Two. But for so long now, since David Flickroft left the club 18 months ago, they have underperformed. They have been so poor on the pitch. Uh, John Dempster and Graham Coughlin could not get a tune out of them. But so quickly, Nigel Clough has come in and improved their fortunes. Um, we, we have to. We just have to put it down to him. There's no other... It, it kind of feels a bit like Neil Warnock going into Middlesbrough. They're just... The players haven't changed. Nothing really has changed except for the manager. And on the pitch, they are just markedly, markedly better. It carries over into the Cups as well. Since he came in, they beat Sunderland at the Stadium of Light and then got past Dagenham and Redbridge also mid, uh, in, on the weekend. It's, you just got to doff your cap to a guy who is clearly operating at a level above most of those in League Two. And of course, it was a coup for Mansfield to, to, to hire a manager who's done most of his, his work recently in League One and the Championship, who's only out of a job because of the financial instability that his former club Burton Albion were in due to the COVID outbreak. And, and it's proving it's paying dividends now already. How far can this Mansfield side go? Because... In our heads, we're having to upgrade them from being one of the poorest teams in the division to probably one of the hardest to play against, if not one of the best. So all credit to Nigel Clough. Um, I think Cambridge will will feel themselves aggrieved to have come up against a side after this managerial change because there is a massive, massive difference in terms of the, the level the two sides are playing at. Um, so I think we can probably expect this run of form from Clough and Mansfield to continue further on into the season. 
how far can Mansfield go? I, I dare say with a magic stag as their manager. <laughs> Surely the sky's the limit. I've spent that whole answer thinking what a magic stag would look like. I mean, it's not a million miles away from a unicorn, that is it, really? Mm. Anyway, that is the midweek review on Totally Football League Show Extra Time. Next up, we talk to our guest, Michael Bailey, who covers the club at the top of the championship, who lost in midweek, Norwich City. And then it'll be time for the weekend preview with Paddy Power. The Black Friday slash pre-Christmas sales are well underway and from today until Friday the 4th of December, you can get yourself a subscription to The Athletic for £1 a month for an entire calendar year. That means unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts for just £1 per month. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell, sponsored by Paddy Power. It is our absolute delight and pleasure to be joined by Michael Bailey. Michael covers Norwich City for The Athletic. Michael joins us from a hotel in Luton, having covered Norwich's defeat to Luton last night. And Michael, we speak to you with Norwich top of the tree in the championship with 28 points from 15 games. They are at the top of a group of 10 teams separated by just four points, though. So league positions at this stage still doesn't mean a ton. Uh, That defeat last night ended what was a 10-game unbeaten run. And the reason we want to get you on the pod is, A, you cover the league's leaders, but I think it's an interesting... It's been an interesting first quarter of the season. Uh, After such a disappointing effort in the... Premier League last year and those strong confident words from Stuart Webber and the others that that run the football club I wanted to ask you first and foremost what are the current marks out of 10 for how Norwich have started the season Hello there Um, well yeah I think I was thinking about this on the drive down to Luton yesterday actually and I think the the job Daniel Farco has done up until this point in terms of resetting um, the mentality of his of his players um, and sort of re-establishing some of the qualities that they did have a couple of years ago. I think it's, it's remarkable really, given that, you know, Norwich are doing it without changing their head coach. They, they've changed the personnel, but there's still a, a, a good core group there. So um, I think he deserves huge credit for the start Norwich have made. They've obviously got a lot of injury issues at the moment, but the fact that he stuck to those principles, that the, the it's always a cliche, but the hangover of relegation, losing so many games. You know, I think it was, it was certainly you know ten or so at the end of last season, and um, you know that the residual sort of effects of that were maybe only felt sort of sporadically at the start of the season. Um, I, I think it's quite remarkable. So yeah, probably probably going about eight and a half nine at the moment, with obviously you know the chance to review it as the season goes on, but. Um, you know, ultimately, being top of the league um, after the first 15 games is it's very hard to ask for anything more, really. You mentioned the injuries there, and a lot of teams have injury problems at the moment given the fixture congestion, but it seems especially crazy at Norwich. I mean, just how bad is it? And is there any reason for it? Because I remember last season, there were constantly players missing as well. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Everyone talks about injuries. I think it's hard not to think of it as as crippling at the moment, to be honest. Hopefully, only for a, for a handful of games. Um, 
But, you know, to put it in context, Norwich have got, uh, they're, they're missing Tim Krul. And I know lots of teams are missing uh, goalkeepers. Uh, the way Tim Krul plays the, the ball and, and the level he is at, the best goalkeeper in the championship, I would, I would argue. Um, you know, Michael McGovern was already at the club when Daniel Farker came in and that isn't really struggles to play with the ball at his feet in the way that Norwich wants. So I think that is a primary issue in terms of how Norwich go about things. Um, they haven't got a recognised fit striker. I think they've got about 12 injuries at the moment, um, which is more than anyone else. I think only one team, which is Bristol City, have got more players that will still be outcome next year. Um, most of those, or at least half of those injuries for Norwich um, are muscle injuries, which, which does tend to put them in a kind of unavoidable category. So I think there's certainly question marks over the load being put through Norwich's players. At the same time, they've probably got more internationals than most teams as well. And you look at someone like Timo Pukki, who's basically probably played twice a week for about five years now um, and hasn't really had a summer off. Um, you know, some of those bits of catch are catching up with them. So, um, yeah, as I said, they haven't had a recognised striker. They've, they're missing players sort of left, right and centre. And against Coventry, they had only six substitutes, one of which Christoph Zimmerman had, had only played in the, in the league before. The substitute goalkeeper had made one senior appearance, which was in the League Cup at Luton at the start of the season when Norwich had about 14 players away on international duty. And the other four were under-18s who barely trained with the first team and should have been or should be playing in the FA Youth Cup in about three weeks time. So, uh, you know, that and, and when Daniel Farker looked behind him, 85 or 80 minutes gone, wondering if he could give anyone out there a, a break, um, he probably felt he couldn't <laughs> because, you know, the majority of his bench were, were untried and untested. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're all expecting the next few games to be very tough. Um, if Norwich are are still sort of in the top three or four at that point. They'll have done pretty well. Um, and then hopefully they should have a few injuries, sort of a few recoveries sort of coming back in the next uh, in the next two to three weeks, which uh, will, will ease the situation greatly because Norwich do have a sizable squad as well compared to everyone else. I thought you were going to say Farker turned around to see the majority of his bench doing their maths homework for the following day. <laughs> um, Michael, the listeners of this podcast are EFL experts. And so... They don't need reminding of the talents and skills of Buendia and, and Puki, Krull and Aarons as well, because we remember them being a key part of our title winners just two seasons ago. Um, I'm interested to know who are the sort of emerging key players in this Norwich side um, as, as they look to, well, I guess, emulate what happened two years ago. Yeah, I think there, there are players who I have really high hopes for, um, but maybe haven't quite caught light yet. So, so Josh Martin has come in since the injury crisis. He had a, a really impressive first first start at Stoke. Um, the, the second, the other two games since have been a little bit trickier. But again, it's been difficult around him. Um, and some of Norwich's um, players who have caught the eye this season have actually been players that everyone at this on this podcast will know. So you've got Grant Hanley, who's been in in really top form. Ben Gibson, who, who's on loan from, from Burnley and hadn't played for a couple of years, has really slotted in very well. Um, so in terms of the ones who, who are maybe catching the eye and, and I, I think are real talents, uh, Oliver Smith, uh, Oliver Smith, Ollie, this has been a long night. Uh, Ollie Skip <laughs> looks, um, is on loan from Tottenham. He's still only 19, I think, off the top of my head. Uh, huge hopes for him at Spurs. Uh, and 
early in the season, you could see the promise and you could see what he was doing so well, but you could see there were slight issues, maybe positionally at times, defensively. And, you know, you, you saw a player who hadn't really played any sort of regular first team football, even though he's been with Spurs. Um, as things have got tougher around him and maybe the personnel has changed, I think Oli has, has been more and more consistent, really grasped what's needed of him and shown a, a really good, healthy degree of of maturity, I, I think he's going to be some player given his age, uh, and especially given I've written a piece this week on Harry Kane's loan spell at Norwich mm. as a 19-year-old. It made me think of Ollie and just look at him and just think, ah, oh, you know what? The, the way you're growing into this is, is hugely impressive. So, I think he's been um, he's been a fantastic loan signing. I suppose the only bit of me would would love for him to be a, a permanent Norwich fixture, but I don't think that will be happening um, given what Spurs will have have been seeing Ollie do. Um, there's a couple of others who who are raw and you can see potential. So Bali Mumba had a great had a great uh, debut in the league and and then injured his knee straight after. Um, Adam Ida is on the sidelines as well and this was this was going to be a big season for him and we didn't really see it. So um, I think Oli's probably the the standout and then hopefully someone like uh, Shemiswaf Fuerheta will just uh, develop as his first season in English football goes on because I can definitely see promise in what he's doing but it's still quite raw. So I'd be interested to see where he is come say March. I can I can vouch for that Harry Kane piece being a brilliant read to anybody who's listening who wants to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane to a to a great loan story. I'd recommend reading Michael's piece on the Athletic site. Um, just finally, before we let you go, I mean we mentioned that Daniel Farker is doing a very good job in the in the circumstances. Mentioned that Norwich are of course currently top of the league albeit just one point from the last couple of games. I mean, does it feel like this early season form, this top of the table form, does it feel sustainable to you? Or do you have any kind of lingering doubts that possibly there could be some some bumpy times ahead? I think my only my only issue is is the availability of the players. You know, I, I think I think Norwich's Norwich's squad is is sizable, but the, the players at the very top of it are so important to them being able to play how Daniel Farker wants them to play and making it effective. Um, because I think, as we saw with Luton last night, you, you can stop Norwich um, if you get it right and if players absorb the space. And, 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 and Norwich still do give you a chance at, at times. I mean, they're missing Tim Krul hugely. So I think mm. having those players back and firing, I think that's hugely important. But I, I must admit that the, the difference in quality between the Premier League and the Championship is, is significant. And with everything Norwich have, uh, they they really should be finishing towards uh, the very top end of the table. And Daniel Farker is showing clear signs that he, he still has the appetite and the ability to get um, as much as he can out of his players. So fair play. And um, I think everyone's just hoping to ride out these next few weeks and, and see where they are after that. Well, this weekend they have the less than simple task of attempting to break down Tony Pulis's Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, thank you so much, Michael, for talking us through all things Norwich City. You can read Michael's excellent coverage of the Canaries on the Athletics site. We're looking ahead to the weekend in the EFL with the help of our sponsors, Paddy Power. On this week's From the Horse's Mouth podcast, the lads are joined by Shane Lowry, fresh from his master's performance at Augusta. Here's what Shane's caddy was too scared to say to Tiger Woods after his disastrous 10 on the 12th. Because any time he hit a bad drive, or an average drive he'd say to Joe was caddies that was like one of yours and we stood on the 13th tee and Bo said to me what do you think he'd say if I said to him I bet you wish Joe had that one <laughs> <laughs> search Paddy Power on your podcast provider to listen now Paddy Power 18 plus
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell, sponsored by Paddy Power. It is time for the weekend preview with our sponsors, Paddy Power, where Ali and I will choose a game each from the Championship League One and League Two that we are most excited for. I hope you can hear the excitement in my voice and I'm especially excited to hear Ali's first one up in the championship. Over to you. I mean, I'm excited, but my brain's all over the place at the moment, George, with these games <laughs> coming thick and fast. I'm, I genuinely, this morning, right, while we were getting ready for this, I genuinely came up with the concept of adding another day to the week. And I don't know who to pitch it to, but we really need another day probably in between Thursday and Friday or maybe in yeah, between Friday and Saturday because, you know, no sooner have we reviewed the midweek but we're previewing the weekend. It's it's pretty exciting, don't get me wrong, and it's a privilege to talk about these three wonderful divisions in the Championship this weekend. I will be watching Coventry against Rotherham. Fascinating game for a number of reasons. And these two sort of come together. There sometimes happens in the EFL. Where, where a group of teams or a pair of teams get promoted together in the automatic places, you almost sort of bunch them together and you, you, in a way you judge each other's success based on the other one as well because they've come up together. I'm thinking specifically of Wigan and Blackburn a few years ago. They had such a good title race in League One and I always sort of clubbed them together and tried to use each other to measure how well they were doing in the championship pretty well, as the case was. Coventry and Rotherham, of course, were last season's one and two in League One. Coventry took the title on the pitch. Rotherham had the bragging rights. They won 4-0 in their first fixture and drew one all in the second. This season, it's pretty tight. Coventry are on 14 points. Rotherham are on 13 points. They're both just outside the relegation zone. And I think with survival the obvious objective for both sides this season. This game feels pretty huge, to be honest. Um, mm. Coventry, like they did last season, Mark Robbins showing a lot of tactical flexibility uh, as Coventry manager, have changed from a three-at-the-back system that proved really effective last year in League One, but hasn't done so this season. Back to a, a 4-2-3-1, which is what he moved away from <laughs> this time last season. He's done it to tighten up at the back, which... Might sound interesting because obviously, you know, in nominal terms, you go from three centre-backs to two. And it has worked in, in, in that extent. They've only conceded two in their last four games, three draws and a win in that time. So the form has improved. They're not looking that fluent going forward, it's fair to say, mostly creating on the counter-attack. And in their last two games, they've scored injury time goals to grab a point. So potentially the performance is not as good as, as this this sort of seeming turnaround in form suggests. Rotherham have only got one point from their last four games and it's almost becoming a bit of a copy and paste job to say after a, a Rotherham game that they gave their opponent a really tough game, but they didn't have anything to show from it. And that was the case on Tuesday against Brentford. 
as always is the case, plaudits from the opposition manager. They gave us a really tough game. I think they'll be fine, that sort of thing. But you can't cash plaudits in for actual points, sadly. They haven't worked, <laughs> out, they haven't worked out that mechanic yet. So as it is, they need to start picking up points. This is going to be the game where they will sort of target three points. Uh, the, the big bonus for any neutral watching this game, if I haven't sold it already, is you get to watch the championships. Box office player Gustavo Harmer plays in midfield for Coventry. Flies into tackles, creative midfielder, seems to have an eye for a goal as well. Looks like an amazing signing and always in the thick of the action. I think this will be a classic championship game where both sides will have spells of pressure. They're very well matched, I would say, even if they don't play uh, in a similar style. It, it smells of a one-all draw to me, which I don't think either <laughs> side would be that happy about. Paddy Power, our sponsors, think that Coventry are the most likely winners. They've got them at 7-5, to five. Rotherham are at 15 to 8 and the draw 21 to 10. So Rotherham Coventry is where I'll be. George, what will you be watching this weekend in the Championship? I'll be towards the top end of the table, which is actually really interesting in the Championship at the moment because I think the top uh, the top 11 sides are separated by just six points. So when you're looking at Blackburn against, uh, against Brentford, or Brentford against Blackburn, I should say, because it's at... Um, Brentford you think of it in my head at least of two of the two of the best sides in the division but it's actually sixth playing against ninth but of course both sides so close to that top spot that realistically it is and you look at the form table as well in the last six games no team has picked up more points than Blackburn with 14 from those six Brentford picked up 12 from those six in fourth in the form table neither side have lost in those games either so you can understand why it's a clash between two sides who are going in the right direction but I would say if you take what you know about these two sides over the last couple of seasons, there's always almost been a bit of a role reversal. Brentford, a side who in the last couple of, of, of seasons we have seen playing high-pressing, possession-based football with attacking flair running through it. And that is still the case, of course. They still have great players and, and with, with, with attacking talent as well, whether that's Brian and Bomo, Josh De Silva, or, or of course, the free-scoring Ivan Tony. And look out for Marcus Force, who's coming into the side now, who is a very, very natural goal scorer. But under Thomas Frank, who maybe is a coach who instills a, a more pragmatic philosophy it might just be their defensive solidity that means that they finally get that promotion to the Premier League that they've been craving they're still scoring goals but they're not pressing very high they're happy to sit off teams as we saw last Friday against QPR a side where QPR a game where QPR had far more of the ball so this is a different Brentford side to what we're used to seeing Blackburn on the other hand under Tony Mowbray a manager who isn't necessarily known for his expansive playing style have become the high-pressing side, have become the team who like to dominate sides and are so free-scoring as well. Of course, you can throw into the mix, this is the the game that sees the two championship top goal scorers pitted against each other. It is incredible what both Ivan Tony and Adam Armstrong are doing so far this season. Armstrong with 14 in 14, Ivan Tony with 13 in 15. They are both scoring at basically at the rate of a goal a game as well. And I'm pretty sure they'll both be keen to get the upper hand on each other here. So many different caveats and reasons to enjoy this one. In terms of the way it's going to play out, I'd probably expect Blackburn to enjoy more possession. But as the odds suggest, Brentford are the likely winners at home. 10 to 11 they are with Paddy Power. The draw 12 to 5. Blackburn 11 to 4. Uh, I think whoever wins this one will fancy their chances of really putting the cat amongst the pigeons towards the top end of the table. 
Wow. And that is where cats should be, as we all know. Right. League one. League One game of the weekend for me is Shrewsbury against Charlton. And, and, and partly because we were at a game last night and I wasn't able to watch Shrews's Shrews's? <laughs> partly because we were at a game last night and I wasn't able to watch Shrewsbury's game against Accrington. The reason I would have liked to watch that is because it was the first league game that Steve Cottrell took charge of Shrewsbury, League One's newest manager for a couple of days or weeks until Sunderland appoint one, of course. And it's two years since he left Birmingham, over two years, in fact. Cotterell says he was waiting for the right job and the right chairman. And do you know what? You often hear that. In fact, you pretty much hear that every time someone gets appointed. And a lot of the time, I'm sure you guys will agree, you slightly roll your eyes because you look at the job and you look at the chairman and you think to yourself, hmm... Would we advise that as being the best chairman to work for? Anyway, I think that actually rings true here. Not only has he been given a three and a half year deal, which is a great show of support already from the Shrewsbury board, but also this is a, a you know this is a board that stuck with his predecessor Sam Ricketts a lot longer than a lot of teams. That a side who always seem to do the right sort of thing off the field, uh, and yeah, just a they are a club that I respect a lot in terms of the way that they're structured and the way they operate. So. You're right, Steve Cottrell. You may have waited over two years for a job, but I think you have got a good job and I think you have got a good chairman as well. Um, it was a positive performance on Wednesday. I think that's fair to say, but, you know, he hasn't reinvented the wheel overnight. It was the same story as it has been in recent weeks. Shrews were ahead twice and pegged back twice and conceded an injury time equaliser. And that was happening under Ricketts as well. But I think the feeling is that you can't necessarily expect him to have just changed the whole mentality of the team overnight. The last four games that Shrewsbury have played in League One, they've been ahead and failed to win. So Cottrell's first job is probably more of a psychological one. There are clearly some fragilities here in, in this side. And they're up against the Charlton side this weekend, whose management team definitely know what they're doing at this level and how to get out of this division and who I'm sure will have had a rocket sent up them by Lee Bowyer after a defeat to MK Dons in front of their fans on Wednesday. Uh, Charlton have 22 points from their last 10 games. So even with that defeat, they're still in very, very healthy form in general. They're towards the top of the table and they want to get into those automatic places. So it's a big test for Cotterill. Charlton have had a bit of an injury crisis at the back last weekend. Uh, their centre-backs were career right-back Chris Gunter and career central midfield player Darren Prattley who's been reimagined by Bowyer as a centre-back and, and is doing very well in, in general terms. Charlton, the favourites with Paddy's 13 to 10, Shrews 15 to 8 and the draw 21 to 10. Let's see what Cottrell can do with such a tight turnaround. George, what's up next? It's interesting because, you know, they say you learn something new every day and I had no idea that, that Chris Gunter and Darren Prattley played for career. So that is, um, that's new news to me. <laughs> uh, on now to uh, League One, where Plymouth play against Ipswich. And, you know, you've known me for a long time, Ali, and you know that I love, I'm attracted to crises. I'm a crisis kind you make, of guy. I know that you make bad jokes as well. Those are the two <laughs> things I know about you. <laughs> I could hear you couldn't really stop laughing for a while there. But um, yeah, Plymouth against, against Ipswich is a game between two sides who, in dire straits really, out of nowhere. Like if you told us three weeks ago this would be a side between two of the most abjectly out-of-form sides in the division, yeah, I'd have been surprised because Plymouth in their last three league games have been beaten 5-1 at Fleetwood, 1-0 at Peterborough and then 4-0 at home to Rochdale. And you mentioned earlier on in the podcast 
you know, home park is as much of a fortress as we kind of really see in, in, in the EFL in recent years. And this is the first time in Ryan Lowe's short managerial career, if, if we ignore the end of the Berry season when he was appointed, where they got relegated from League One, where he is having to face up to a side, one of his sides who are shipping goals and shipping points as well. I think he'll be happy to see who they're playing in Ipswich Town. I mean, Ipswich, before the Oxford game uh, in midweek, which they drew nil-nil, there was a fan poll and a few thousand fans voted and 82%, I'm told, of these fans voted that they wanted to lose that game in order to see the end of Paul Lambert's reign Mm. at the club. And that just goes to show just how much the relationship between Lambert and the fans has broken down. Um, his decision to ban a, a popular blogger, fan blogger from the from Portman Road in recent times as well, has only I think gone further to 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 drive a wedge between the fan base and himself and the style of play. I, I watched the game between Ox- Oxford and and uh, and Ipswich in midweek, and there was no discernible style of play really, except for a ten minute spell during the second half. Um, Ipswich were abject. They they didn't look to keep possession in any way. They were pretty incapable of, of creating chances against an Oxford side who are yet to keep a clean sheet. Uh, everything that I've been told about Ipswich kind of played out in front of me. Oxford weren't much better. It's fair to say uh, it was a poor it was a poor game. But um, but this Ipswich side do not look like one who sh- deserve to have their their lofty position in League One, currently in fifth place. I don't think that's going to last too long here at all. And, you know, those people who pay more attention to league tables than the actual performances will probably be surprised to see that Plymouth are the favourites for this one at 11-8, to Ipswich 9-5, to the draw 12-5. to But it does feel like there's got there's one, you know, two sides who need a win here. In Ipswich, the away team, you've got one who are falling and there seems to be very little fight. With Plymouth, the fans are still going to be right behind Ryan Lowe they're going to hope this is just a blip. And as far as I'm aware, there will be fans at home park for the first time since March as well. So a really interesting game between two sides who, who are in runs of form that they hope will be cast aside fairly soon. Going to be really in- interesting to see what happens at Ipswich if they cannot arrest this slump fairly soon. In League Two, the game that I will be keeping an eye on most closely, the game I'm most excited for is Leighton Orient against Scunthorpe United. You've mentioned Scunny earlier in the show. They had four points from their first eight league games and Orient had five points from their first six. Slow starters in League Two, it's fair to say. Now among the form teams in the division, they've both really warmed up, warmed into things this season. Orient have won six of their last nine games in the league, picking up 19 points in that time. Uh, And Scunny have won three of their last five, including that 5-2 thrashing of Harrogate in midweek. And there's key players for both sides, both of them much more of an attacking threat in the last few weeks. Isa, you mentioned, and Gilead on either flank for Scunthorpe are a real, they're a bit of a throwback, sort of 4 4 2. Um, those wide players like to get on the ball and drive and, and, and carry it forward and either shoot or deliver crosses. And um, it's working for them at the moment. They've got plenty of targets in the middle. For Leighton Orient, you've got friend of the pod, DJ Danny Johnson, who has 10 goals, and Connor Wilkinson, who has six. Those two are real sort of dual threat, plenty for the Scunny defence to think about. I just think it's, you know, despite the fact there's actually 10 points and 13 places between these sides, recent form suggests that this game should be pretty tight and that Scunny should go into it with quite a lot of confidence. So although the odds might suggest that Orient get the win, 
I've got a feeling that it, it won't be that straightforward. Paddy Power have Orient as the six to four favourites. Scunthorpe nine to five to win the game and the draw 11 to five. I'll have my eyes on East London this weekend in League Two, George. Where will you be? In East London, actually. So interesting <laughs> you say that. But I'll be watching Cheltenham against Exeter. Uh, Cheltenham are the favourites for this one with Paddy's at seven to five, Exeter fifteen to eight, and eleven to five the draw. And those odds reflect what should be a very, very tight game between two of the best sides in the division. A look at the table sees this will be second versus third. That kind of lofty league position carries into last season as well, where these were two of the sides vying for automatic promotion before the season was cut short. They both went into the playoffs and they both were victims of Keith Curl's miraculously energetic Northampton Town side in the playoffs, with Cheltenham, of course, losing that famous second leg 4-0 before Exeter, not doing too much better at Wembley either. But we're seeing that last season was no flash in the pan for two young, exciting managers, and that is the key to this one. You've spoken about the players that Exeter have at their disposal, whether it's Joel Randall, Randall Williams, Ryan Bowman, Matt Jay, they've got plenty of them. But the managers here are, what are two that are really exciting for me, both in their first jobs as managers in the EFL, both getting now into, you know, they've been, been there for a couple of years, Matt Taylor taking over from Paul Tisdale, Mike Duff in at Cheltenham as well. And people would have thought that taking over from Tisdale Exeter would be very, very difficult. Taylor initially came in with a fairly attritional defensive-minded style. And we kind of, well, at least I had him pegged as, as that being his style of football. But with the attacking talents he's now brought through at the club, we're seeing a completely different Exeter now. It may not be the um, prettiest passing football we're seeing, but a, a real attacking intent, which is proving um, to be difficult for, for defences to handle, especially recently with their free scoring antics. And for Cheltenham, it is more of a continuation of the same. I think we know now with Mike Duff and Cheltenham, they're going to be, at worst, very, very hard to beat. They are so solid. They're so capable of scoring goals as well. Andy Williams being brought in in the summer was a really, really shrewd signing. Somebody just to give them that little bit of know-how up front as well. And we're seeing him raise the performance of certain players in the time that he's been there. Uh, if, if I had to pick two managers that I'm convinced will manage at a much, much higher level than League Two, these two would certainly be up there. Yeah, I don't think it'll be too long. It could even be this season that we see them both getting promoted. It's, it's an interesting tie towards the top end of the table. Two teams trying to chase down Newport at the very top and both will be desperate to get a win to put some distance between themselves and the other. If Clough is the magic stag, does that mean Duff is the magic Robin? Because if so, it's a busy <laughs> month for Robins, isn't it? Both in popular culture, the birds themselves and... Yes. In footballing terms as well, the, the, the games are coming thick and fast for Mike Duff. Um, thank you for that. That's been the weekend preview brought to you by Paddy Power. OK, that's it for today's episode. George and I are going to be put on ice for a few hours now just to recharge ahead of the weekend. Hopefully we've given you a taste of what to get excited about in the EFL this weekend. You can hear the guys on the Totally Football League show proper on Monday, dissecting all the key events, key games, key performances, key talking points as they do each week. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed to hear those guys on a Monday, to hear us on a Thursday. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. 
Check out all the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.